Welcome to Still Standing, episode 24. Yes, that's Still Standing. Remember, stillstandingpodcast.com. Today, we're going to get into what else? Michael Cohen on Capitol Hill. That and more coming up. No talking points, no spin. It's politics you can't put down. This is Still Standing with Michael Caputo. Hi, it's Michael Caputo for Still Standing. Thanks a lot for listening in. Uh, been a big week this week for uh, the Congress, for the United States, with the president overseas negotiating with Kim Jong-un of the North Korean dictatorship, of course. And also Michael Cohen doing his uh, his last meals at Congress before he goes to prison and uh, dresses up. I, I know the guy. He looks good in orange. Uh, he couldn't be in a better place. Uh, but he sure is out there being trotted around by Democrats as someone who uh, we should all trust. But I can tell you, not only is he a, a pathological liar, in fact, I, on TV I've compared him to John Lovitz, who plays that uh, character on Saturday Night Live, the president of the Pathological Liars Association of America. I think, uh, you know, Michael Cohen is not John Dean. Michael Cohen is John Lovitz. That's who he is. He can't help himself. He is a pathological liar, so much so that he even lied while he was sitting there before Congress. And the guy can't help himself. And it's all driven by, by his own pride, by his greed, and by his aspirations. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Now, first of all, before I get into it, I want to thank Darcy Swenson, George Noonan, Sonia Carlin, Thomas Fulton, Daniel Markey, Stephen Flaminio, Jerry Brown, Samantha Lynn, Brian Pesdursky, Jack Bromwich, Jordan Gastomes, Susan Stevens, Patty Freeling, John Seifert, and of course Julie and Rachel, all executive producers of Still Standing. Uh, if you contribute at uh, our Patreon.com account, uh, we, we consider you an executive producer because uh, without your help we couldn't pull this off. Um, it's not easy to do, uh, and it's it gets to be pretty expensive, but I'm real appreciative of the financial help that all of our executive producers give, and I wanted to give you a shout-out before I get going on Michael Cohen. And i got to tell you, I've known Michael Cohen since 2013. He's not an old friend. Uh, I've never went out drinking with him. I've never had uh, lunch with him, although I waited in line for lunch one day with him at the uh, taco bar at the uh, the basement level of Trump Tower. We worked together on the president's uh, flirtation with a run for the New York governorship in 2013. He was one of the liaisons uh, to the president uh, at the time, uh, you know, uh, a real estate developer, a billionaire in, in, in New York City. And I was organizing it on behalf of the leadership of the Republican Party of New York. So uh, Michael Cohen was helping me with things like you know, getting people cleared in the building, getting documents to the president for him to look at, you know, trying to convince the president to start an exploratory committee to run for governor. And in the end, of course, he didn't do it. He was always talking about doing the big thing. He called it the big thing, meaning the presidency. But Michael Cohen was one of the coordinators, he and Sam Nunberg. I think a lot of you have heard of Sam Nunberg. He's on TV a lot. Uh, Sam was very helpful. 
Michael was, I don't know, mercurial. I tried very hard to stay, you know, maintain a positive relationship with him because if I made him angry, he would certainly uh, end, uh, you know, his efforts to help us pull the president into the governor's race. That was my top, final, you know, highest goal. In the end, it wasn't a great idea. In fact, I backed off of it in the end because I thought that the uh, the kind of corrupt pauls of the of New York State were going to do whatever they could to stop him. Uh, but anyway, I maintained a, a decent relationship with Michael. Uh, early on, Roger Stone told me to be careful with him. Uh, I didn't really know what Mod Roger meant by that. I did know that Roger had been around the president for 30-plus years, and Michael had only arrived a little over a decade before, uh, about a decade before, uh, the, the governor's discussions. And, uh, and they kind of had an on-again, off-again relationship. In fact, Michael Cohen was always jealous of Roger Stone's relationship with Donald Trump. Always. And uh, at times he would tell me not to talk to Roger Stone about the governor's race, uh, to talk to him. And uh, I understood that. Roger was actually against the president running for governor because he thought it would get in the way of his presidential aspirations. Roger was right. But anyway, fast forward some uh, to now. I always had a decent relationship with Michael, um, but I also knew that he was in it for himself always. In fact, even as we were talking about him running for governor, um, he was, uh, I'm sorry, the president running for governor, he himself was trying to talk to me about running for mayor or even lieutenant governor uh, underneath the president. And, uh, you know, I kind of laughed about that a little bit. I was polite to him about it. Um, I didn't want to make him angry by telling him it's ridiculous, the idea of you running for any office in New York State. Nobody knows who you are, etc. Uh, maybe he could run for mayor. A lot of people run for mayor in New York. But I knew that it, it was something that I had to entertain just because rejecting it out of hand, telling him the reality of the situation, would probably screw up our working relationship on the governor's race. I always regarded him as someone strongly in favor of the president. But later on, uh, you know, when he was, after his office was raided, and um, Vanity Fair wrote a story where he said that he would take a bullet for the president. I was actually with uh, Kendall Coffey, who is the former um, uh, U.S. attorney of the Southern District of Florida, and I was with Kendall when that story popped up on Vanity Fair, and I showed it to him on my phone, and Kendall said, well, there's your guy. That's the guy that's going to turn on the president. That's the guy that's going to betray the president. I, at the time, was a little surprised to hear that about Michael Cohen from someone I trusted as much as I trust Kendall Coffey, one of the best attorneys in America. And uh, so I started looking closer at Michael Cohen after Kendall said that. There's your guy. He's the one that's going to turn on the president. And of course, as the heat turned up, we found out that Michael Cohen had been committing crime after crime after crime, evading taxes, falsely stating his income for bank loans, playing one bank off of the other, all federal crimes, all serious financial crimes that had nothing to do with the president. So here we have a guy who then pled guilty and turned on the president being trotted out in front of the, the House Democrats, uh, in this case, the House Oversight Committee and uh, being held out as someone they're going to use, the information that he brings and the comments that he makes, 
to tie up the president, to perhaps even convict the president. You know, there's dis- discussions about how you cannot indict a sitting president, but there are those in the Department of Justice who do not agree with that theory. It's not a rule or a law. It's a theory. It's a theory that's dominated the Department of Justice when it comes to the president for many years. But there are those at the Southern District of New York, I understand, who don't agree with that. They think they can indict the president. But regardless, there is a widely held opinion that these prosecutors are lining up indictments for when the president will leave office. So they may indict him uh, immediately after when he becomes a civilian again. So here we have Michael Cohen sitting in front of House Oversight for hours and hours and hours. And I was driving at the time, streaming it on my uh, uh, rental car, driving from Washington to Buffalo, because right now I'm actually in the midst of moving my office from uh, uh, one place to another in our little village. And uh, I'm actually taking a break. And after I'm done recording this, I'm tearing down my recording station, all the, you know, the, uh, uh, the foam that keeps the, the acoustics right is already torn off the walls in my booth. So when I'm done with this, maybe a little bit short this week, um, I'm actually headed down to the moving truck and pulling everything out and into a new spot down the road. Really, really busy week for me. But listening to Michael Cohen while I'm driving, you know, I'm banging on my, my, uh, my, <laughs> my steering wheel every time I hear him lie. And I hear him lie time after time after time. And one thing, I, I know that, uh, uh, that a couple of Republican members of the committee, Jordan, I think, and, and Meadows, have decided to uh, refer Michael Cohen for uh, prosecution to the Department of Justice for, again, lying before Congress. Um, and I checked through the five items they outlined, and I, I agree, he has lied, again, and he can't help himself because it's about his pride. It's about his greed, and it's about his aspirations. When I say greed, his lies uh, to the banks about uh, loans, his lies to the federal government about his taxes. It's all about cash, right? That's why a lot of people get in trouble in politics and otherwise. His aspirations, this is actually a part of of his uh, charges from Jim Jordan and, and Mark Meadows, um, where he said he did not want a job in the administration. Uh, he was perfectly happy. He wasn't mad at the president, perfectly happy as, as his pre- the president's outside counsel. But he wasn't, I can tell you that as a fact. He told me he wanted to be chief of staff. He also apparently told David Bossy that because Bossy tweeted about it. He was absolutely intent upon, upon being the White House chief of staff, which is hilarious. Let me repeat that hilarious. Michael Cohen couldn't handle that job uh, under any circumstances. It's one of the toughest jobs in the world. And under Donald Trump, it's particularly difficult, right? He was never going to get that job. But he was working the angles, trying to get it, trying really hard, and got mad when he wasn't chosen. In fact, he wasn't chosen for chief of staff. He wasn't chosen for anything. So he was angry about not getting into the administration. And I'm sure that has something to do with the uh, revenge play he's got going in the House of Representatives and all these committee hearings. But there was another lie he told that wasn't listed in the Jordan Meadows document. This one was that he started, it was his idea for the president to run in in the 2012 cycle, that he came up with this idea in 2011. That is a flat-out lie. 
the person who came up with that was Donald Trump. I know for a fact because I was on the backside trying to, I was actually uh, working with Roger Stone and others uh, on a, in a marginal way because I wasn't part of the working group um, who were actually lining up all the things that needed to happen. And in fact, in 2011, actually on February 16th, because I went back and checked on this stuff, February 16th, the draft Trump 2012 committee was publicly announced via press release and a guy named Nick McLaughlin, who was an Iraq war veteran, he was in charge of it all and is you know, listed as a guy on the website. On the 23rd of February in 2011, there was a meeting at Trump Tower, and uh, there were a lot of people there, including the lawyer in charge. His name was not Michael Cohen. His name was Paul Jensen, a uh, campaign finance kind of electoral attorney out of California and a friend of Roger Stone's. Paul brought along several of his own associates, several, I think two of his associates, from his law firm office in California. Now, Cohen was there at that February 23rd meeting, but he didn't originate the idea, and he didn't put things in motion. He was a marginal player in it. But at that meeting, he promised that he would raise 2 to $3 million for the president's uh, draft uh, committee. Now that, nobody believed it. 2 to $3 million is hard to raise. But Michael Cohen committed. He was bravado all the way, all, as he always is, pridefully suggesting that this is going to be easy for me. I'll get it together right away. 2 to $3 million bucks. So they made him the head of this draft committee. I think it was called Should Trump Run or something like that. In the end, as this thing, the wheels came off this thing, in fact, the president announced he was not running on May 16th, 2011, just three months later, right? But he pledged to raise 2 to $3 million for the draft committee. And after that, he flew to Iowa on the president's plane, and on the 14th of, of March, the draft tw uh, Trump 2012 committee was filed with the FEC. So in the end, Michael Cohen raised like 16,000 bucks, not 3 million bucks, 16,000 bucks. And that tells you everything you need to know about Michael Cohen. The reason why he raised 16 out of tw 2 to 3 million bucks is because he was incapable and the reason why the Moscow Tower that is so much touted in the news never, never came to fruition is because Michael Cohen is not capable of putting together a deal like that. As he testified in Congress, he couldn't even get the uh, 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 control of a piece of land in Moscow in order to build a tower. And I can tell you something, it's hard to, uh, to control land in Moscow to actually build a tower, but it's totally possible, absolutely possible. It just takes cash. And the fact of the matter is the president didn't commit any money to control a parcel of land to build upon because he didn't believe in the deal because Michael Cohen is incapable, just as he was incapable of raising 2 to $3 million in, in 2011 to fund the president's race for, the, uh, for president in 2012. Incapable. Sixteen grand he raised. Now, he lied through his teeth. You know why? Because he wanted America to think. And wa America's watching, right? If you saw pictures of the hearing there in House Oversight, it was packed. Packed like I've not seen any other hearing since Iran-Contra with Oliver North. It was wall-to-wall -wall media, and he was eating it up. And he wanted to take a bow for thinking up the idea of Donald Trump running for president so that you might think, this is the guy that brought the president to the voters. He's the one who came up with that idea 
And boy, how dishonorable for the president not to bring him into the White House. He wanted all of us to think that Donald Trump's candidacy was his brainchild. Absolutely a lie. A complete and total lie. There's no question in my mind that that should be included in the, uh, uh, the referral letter by Meadows and Jordan. It's not there. Another thing I think is important for everybody to take a look at, and it's important for you and me, not just Meadows and Jordan, it's important for all of us to understand what, uh, what Michael Cohen was up to. Absolutely. If you looked at the exchange between him and uh, one, uh, you know, one congressman, I can't remember his name. Well, anyway, the exchange was about Rule 35. I don't know if you remember that. It was kind of early on in this thing. Rule 35, is a, it, it's, it's important to understand. A Rule 35 motion is a motion filed by a federal prosecutor under the authority granted by Rule 35B of the Federal Rules of Criminal, of criminal Procedure. It asks a court to reduce a previously imposed sentence based upon substantial assistance, those two words in quotations, you can't see my air quotes, Uh, (laughs) substantial assistance by a defendant provided after sentencing. Now, Michael Cohen admitted that he's going for a Rule 35 motion. He's already been sentenced to three years in the pokey, in prison, in federal prison, where, by the way, they don't like rats, right? A Rule 35 motion could carve some of that time off, and what he is trying to do here is put out some information that leads to or assists prosecution, substantially assists a prosecution. For example, one of his other lies, the idea that Roger Stone was on a speakerphone in Donald Trump's office talking about uh, being uh, on how he had just gotten off the phone with Julian Assange and there was uh, there were emails coming out that would embarrass Hillary Clinton and toss the race. And the president allegedly said in response, well, wouldn't that be nice? Now, that might, if it's believable, which it's not, and I'll tell you why not, um, that might add to the, uh, the, uh, the federal uh, uh, charges against Roger Stone in order to help prosecute him. Now, while that's not in the Southern District of New York, which is the majority of his sentence I think comes from the Southern District of New York. It would uh, substantially assist a federal prosecution, this one being the special counsel, and therefore line him up for a, uh, a drop in his three-year sentence. Michael Cohen is lying about that in particular and all the other things he said, many of the other things he said. I think he actually, I think he said his name, and that would not be a lie. But much of the other stuff he said for the rest of the day was a lie. And many of the things he's saying behind closed doors at the House Intelligence Committee and the Senate, Senate Intelligence Committee are lies as well. So, the, uh, you know, if he, if he substantially assists a federal prosecution, he gets time car- some of his time carved off. The idea that Roger Stone called up the president, the president put him on speakerphone in front of Michael Cohen is preposterous. There's a couple of reasons why. Number one, the idea that the president would put Roger Stone on speakerphone in front of Michael Cohen is outrageous. The president would never do that. The president's relationship with Roger Stone predates Michael Cohen by 20 years. 20 years. The president trusted Roger Stone implicitly. He did not trust Michael Cohen as much. And in fact, that Michael Cohen hated Roger Stone and was constantly trying to undermine him with the president. And in order, you know, to 
The president enjoys that kind of tension between two different people in his office, and he would not put Roger Stone on the speakerphone in front of Michael Cohen. I just don't believe it. Could I say beyond a shadow of a doubt it didn't happen? No, I couldn't say that. But I just don't believe it. I don't believe anybody who knows Roger Stone and knows the president would actually believe it either. But let's back up a little bit more. Let's just say that it's true that the president decided that uh, he wanted to, you know, what, tweak Roger or whatever, put Roger on speakerphone, right? Michael Cohen, let's say he was there. This was in late July, I believe, weeks after Julian Assange had had announced publicly his intention to disrupt the U.S. Uh, election, especially the campaign of Hillary Clinton, by releasing a tranche of emails. He had, he had announced that absolutely weeks before. It was known widely. And the idea that Roger Stone would, first of all, say that he had spoken to Julian Assange. People say, well, Roger Stone tries to remain relevant all the time. He would lie to Donald Trump. Okay, whatever. You know, Roger does uh, play the angles in politics. Let's say he did that. I don't believe he lied to the president and told him he talked to Julian Assange. I think that's a lie coming out of Michael Cohen's mouth to for revenge because he hates Roger Stone. But why would Roger Stone call the president Pretend he talked to Julian Assange that day. I just got off the phone, as Michael Cohen said, and then relay information that had been in the public domain for weeks. You would have to be an idiot to do that if you're trying to you know, remain relevant or create relevancy. Roger Stone is far more sophisticated than that. Far more sophisticated than that. He would never do that. He would try to predict what, what uh, Julian Assange had said. You know, he didn't speak to Julian Assange at any time. Uh, so he would have to, you know, basically guess what's coming and try to try to give the president some new information. He would not call up the president and give him information that someone could Google and find was announced by Assange himself five weeks before. That would make Roger look like an idiot. But the person who's stupid here is, of course, the one you would expect. And that's Michael Cohen, because here's what I'm guessing happened. I don't know. But here's what I'm guessing happened, knowing Michael Cohen, knowing Donald Trump, and knowing Roger Stone. Roger I've known for 30 years. The president I first met in 1988, Michael Cohen, I've known for five, six years. Michael Cohen remembers a speakerphone conversation between the president and Roger Stone, whether he was in the office or not. His office was right next to Rona's office, and she announced to the president on that day, I'm sure, that phone records will reveal that Roger Stone had called in. And so I'm guessing that the, the phone records would reveal that conversation. So Michael Cohen thinks that he's going to be, that the records will prove him correct. But Michael Cohen then had to create some kind of fiction as to what went on in that conversation, pretend that he actually was there listening to it in order to get, to jam up Roger Stone and to jam up the president because he hates both of them now. Michael Cohen is not smart enough to understand that Julian Assange had already announced his intention, uh, his intentions uh, to disrupt the election weeks before. He's not smart enough to even look it up and create a lie out of something that makes sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a carefully curated narrative that to, to hang up Roger Stone, to hang up other people, to get the president in trouble, especially in the Southern District of New York, regarding all of those uh, aspects of the Stormy Daniels payments and et cetera, in order to 
uh, encourage federal prosecutors to drop in a, thir- a Rule 35 motion so he gets some of th- the three years he's going to spend in prison, some of those three years carved off. Maybe he gets a year carved off, maybe more. Maybe he ends up only spending six months in jail because he lied about Roger Stone. He lied about the president. This guy, like I said, he's not John Dean. He's not John Dean. He's, he's John Lovitz. He is the president of the uh, Pathological Liars Association of America. There's no reason anybody in their right mind would invite him to, to, to testify before a committee where he had lied once before. It's outrageous. The Democrats have nothing else. This is all they got. So if the, if, if the Office of Special Counsel actually intends to use Michael Cohen's uh, let's say speakerphone gambit, right? <laughs> That's a John Lovitz moment, right? Yeah, we were, the president and I, we were in the Himalayas, right? Yeah, and, and then in comes a speakerphone conversation with Roger Stone. Yeah, that's the ticket. <laughs> if the Office of Special Counsel wants to trot Michael Cohen out uh, to pre- 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 you know, present this and then shows the phone records that a Roger Stone phone call came in, Roger Stone's attorneys are going to tear Michael Cohen's credibility from limb from limb. Limb from limb. He's not a credible witness. They may not even use him. And also, by the way, Michael Cohen stupidly pled guilty to a non-existent campaign finance, campaign, you know, election fraud crime of uh, paying Stormy Daniels. We know, for example, that uh, Senator John Edwards faced the same charges. Uh, he was paying uh, his girlfriend. And uh, uh, the DOJ brought him up on those charges, and the charges were thrown out of court. And the, the DOJ never even came back and tried to refile them. They were so embarrassed by it. If they couldn't make them stick on John Edwards, good luck making them stick on, uh, on the President of the United States with Michael Cohen as your key witness because the President's attorneys will tear him limb from limb, his credibility. That's what's going down here, ladies and gentlemen. It's all about Rule 35. And Michael Cohen, who lies because he's proud, he wants people to believe he's a real player, that he was the one who had the idea for the president to run in 2011. A lie. And there's plenty of paperwork out there to prove it. Secondly, he lies for greed. Lies to banks, lies to, you know, uh, uh, a majority, you know, like, you know, banks and uh, the IRS and all because he wants more money. And then he lies for his aspirations, lies, tells people he had no interest in chief of staff. He had no interest in joining the administration. In fact, he was rejected. He said, <laughs> uh, listen, if the president of the United States wanted Michael Cohen in the White House, he'd have been in the White House. If Omarosa can get into the White House on the, pre- on the power of the president's opinion, certainly Michael Cohen could. Omarosa was a useless piece of garbage. Michael, Michael Cohen could at least you know, uh, roll a, uh, a piece of paper up into a ball and throw it across. The, I don't know. Omarosa was completely incapable. Michael Cohen at least had some base capabilities. If the president wanted him there, he would have been there. That's a fact. Michael Cohen lies for his pride, for his greed, and for his aspirations. And he proved that in the open hearing of the House Oversight Committee this week. And I can tell you, I don't give a damn about this guy anymore. I do not care. 
In fact, I, I was quoted in a Washington Post story, um, I guess it was about three weeks ago, where I talked to them about how Michael Cohen actually wanted to run for office himself. And all this time he was spending being loyal to Donald Trump was really about Michael Cohen, right? It's all about Michael Cohen. And he read that story and he sent me a text just 11 days ago. And he said, great Washington Post story. Why didn't you tell them about how when you got bounced from the campaign, you came crying to me? Don't worry. I'll be telling everyone. <laughs> Another threat. See, the guy tries to tell America that he's changed. But just 11 days ago, he threatened me via text. My response to him was go F yourself. Go F yourself. Michael Cohen was a hollow bully when he had that tiny little office on the 26th floor of the Trump Tower. And he's still trying to be a hollow bully when he's getting me uh, measured up for an orange jumpsuit. It's not effective, Michael. I know, Michael, you're not listening right now because you can't make it past the first 10 minutes of a podcast. Yeah, you don't have the, 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 the attention span to go 28 minutes into a podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Cohen, if that's the Democrats' gambit, if that's the DOJ's gambit, good luck. Because this guy is the president of the Pathological Liars Association of America. He's no John Dean. He's John Lovitz. Well, thanks a lot for listening in. Michael Caputo for Still Standing. Listen, it's a little short this week. I got to get out of the office and start, you know, get some of these boxes hauled down the stairs and up the stairs and reopen on the other side. It's only about a half a mile down the road from this office, but it's a lot of carrying, a lot of carrying. So anyway, catch me next week here on Still Standing. It's stillstandingpodcast.com. 